Welcome to episode 5 of the Pop Anime Comics Lounge. This week my guest is Kevin Bauer, the writer of Tasha and Master, a comic that just recently raised the appropriate funds on Kickstarter. In this interview we spoke about what made him gravitate towards comics and how he really got this project off the ground and how he found his artist, his colorist, and everybody who was involved in the production of this comic. Before we get into that interview, I just want to remind everybody that if you want to support this podcast, all you have to do is go to popanimecomics.com, click on support the podcast tab on the homepage. It'll bring you right to a link that brings you to amazon.com. And if you purchase something from amazon.com through that link, I get a small percentage that helps to keep my podcast costs lower and allows me to bring you better podcasts at no cost to you. Let me repeat this, at no additional costs to you, and Amazon has everything that you could possibly find, so if you want to support this podcast and you're shopping on Amazon, please do it through popanimecomics.com. Without further ado, here's the interview. So, Kevin, how did you get into comics? Uh, the grocery store, man. Uh, back in the hometown, the parents would just take me grocery shopping every week, and we used to have comics in the store. I'd go to the rack, grab whatever they had, and like that was the height of the 90s, so you just had crazy covers, crazy art. I don't even know what was going on at the plot half the time, but man, some things still blow my mind looking back at that age. Um, a lot of people hate on, on Spider-Man's Clone Saga, and you know, here and there with reason, but I remember a very specific comic, Amazing Spider-Man, forget the number, written by J.M. Demetrius. And it was Spider-Man versus Carrion and Shriek. Two villains nobody's ever heard about, no one cares about. But every single time I come back to that issue, it is insane how much depth and emotional complexity is woven into it. It's poignant, it's heartbreaking, it's traumatic. And those are words nobody says in a sentence that contains Spider-Man anymore. So I guess that was it. I found comics as a way to just really get the emotional depth of books immediately without having to wade through three or four chapters first. So besides Spider-Man, what were you reading? I mean, back then, that was pretty much it. Um, I got the bulk of my comics through dollar stores. So it was whatever was in those little tiny shrink wraps. So sometimes they'd be off-brand, sometimes they'd be DC, sometimes they'd be X-Men, X-Factor. I pretty much read whatever came my way. Um, it wasn't until middle school that I really found a preference, and that was for 90s Ghost Rider. Um, 70s and 80s Ghost Rider was really, really well written, especially during uh, J.M. Uh, Demetrius' run, starting near the end of the Johnny Blaze era. But the 90s Ghost Rider spoke immediately to who I was as a Catholic, um, and that was a crazy, flaming... I don't know, zealot at the time. And I look back at that and see it's something of a curse. Like, how the hell could I have been that way? So Ghost Rider has been one of those characters that's sort of grown up with me. He was who I was then, and now looking back, he's who I'm trying to ride away from. Um, were, were there any writers or artists that inspired you um, growing up? Well, I plugged Demetrius twice, and I mean both of those plugs. Um... The guys behind some of my favorite horror comics of that era, um, other writers of that time. 
Um, Howard Mackey's run on Ghost Rider was very, very strong. Um, very pulpy serial stuff. It worked very well. Um, Larry Hama's run on Wolverine was especially important to me. I think I'm probably the only person who prefers that Wolverine. Um, that was immediately after Wolver uh, Magneto had pulled out his adamantium skeleton. So Wolverine's going around the country realizing that his, re his regeneration doesn't work anymore, he doesn't have metal claws, and he's dying. He knows he's dying. And he's kind of a weakling now. So every comic was him just setting his affairs in order, dealing with villains who thought they knew him, only to find out it's not even worth getting revenge by killing this guy. Uh, that was just a really strong run. Is there anybody currently that you view who like really inspired you to create the comic that you worked on? I'm almost embarrassed to admit this, but I got a Twitter account just to follow Scott Snyder. The dude's run on Detective Comics is really what got me back into reading monthly comics as opposed to just buying trades. Um, I don't think I have found a stronger horror or mystery comic since then. Um, that run in particular from the, the entire uh, Black Mirror up until, let's say, End of the Night of Owls, Scott Snyder might as well have been the next Alan Moore. Guy has crazy talent, crazy ability, so he's a big influence. Um, Sean Ryan is currently doing a bang-up job on all-new Suicide Squad. I can't believe how good it is. Um, it's got a lot of depth, it's all character interplay, it's brutal, it's insane, it has the right amount of political and in-office intrigue, great stuff. Um, I don't know who the author is off the top of my head, but whoever the hell is writing Afterlife with Archie, good job, man. You are kicking ass left and right. So, to dive into your creation, uh, the story of Tasha and Master, could, could you briefly describe the story? Yeah. Um, it is all about a Siberian husky protecting her master in the post-apocalypse. And I did say it in that order. It is entirely from the dog's perspective. Um, so, it's winter, it's cold, they're hunting for food, and the, the dog's owner looks for food in the wrong place, and everything kind of goes from there. So, where, where did the inspiration come from with this comic? You know, I've been asked that before, and I really haven't been able to pinpoint an exact time, place, or seed, but it occurred to me one day that, man, dogs really love their owners, don't they? You hear stories all the time of, like, dogs pulling kids from fires or, you know, saving kids from bear traps or disarming nuclear bombs or things like that. And I just really wanted to explore how much one dog could love one person. And from there it became, well, what's the most extreme environment to put them in? What kind of things can I put them through? What ways can I make that love really, really apparent? And the idea just kind of played out from there. So, obviously, it's from the dog's perspective. What challenges did that provide as a writer to you? The biggest challenge was figuring out how the hell to talk with... Um, at the time, I, I was not aware of Matt Fraction's uh, Hawkeye number 11, where the dog sniffs things and sees things in sort of like a web-like diagram. I'm glad I didn't see that, because I probably would have been frozen in just 
utter panic. Um, I wanted to find a way of communicating what I understand as canine intelligence, and that is a very simplistic but very nuanced way of looking at the world. Um, and what sort of came out of that was a very plain, very simple writing. Um, I don't want to say on the nose because it's really not the case, but it's a kind of mentality that lives entirely in the moment. Um, if the dog is scared, she will almost even say she's scared, or her body language will reflect that. And her narrations about that will be very direct. They'll be very, very brief. Um, a good example of this is her master tells her to come into a grocery store. And you see the dog's head go low, her tail between her legs, the sound effect says wine, and the caption box written directly over that wine says, Tasha, come. She doesn't want to come, but her master says come, she has to follow. Um, trying to do a lot with very little. And the honest answer is we'll see how it plays out, but I've got a really good feeling about it. Our, our test audience really seemed to dig it. So the comic is only 10 pages. Was there any reason for this length? Yes. Um, I love Heavy Metal Magazine. I grew up watching the movie. I probably should not have seen it as young as I did. Um, I love the idea of an anthology comic. You don't really see that very commonly on uh, coming out of the big two companies or even it's uh, the other smaller companies. Um, I really wanted to break into comics through heavy metal um, by way of the same kind of impactful sci-fi that had hit me as a middle schooler. Um, so the comic was written very much in mind with as a submission to Heavy Metal Magazine. Um, I wouldn't say that it was tailored to be adult in any particular way. It was not intended to be shocking or uh, graphic. Um, but it was definitely in mind for a more thoughtful audience. So being that it's 10 pages, what are the challenges as a writer that you have so limited you know, page numbers to work with? That really is it. Um, what is the absolute best story you can tell in 10 pages? Um, and it was the kind of thing where I really had to write with the ending in mind. Uh, right from the, the offset, I knew how it was going to end. I knew how the characters were going to resolve the situation. And it was really a case of finding where it began. And it's a story that probably could have began five years earlier in terms of like the the world of uh, the story. But I sort of began it with just a normal day right before shit hits the fan. And from there it was just finding moments that spelled out the heart of the story. This is a dog who loves her owner and will do anything for her. So to you know speak what you just said it could have started five years earlier um, depending on how well it's received would you reconsider like adding a prequel or even continuing somehow the story? Yeah, uh, I've actually given it a lot of thought. Um, the opening of the comic, well, not opening, but a few pages in, we see um, a picture of the owner's family in happier times, and Tasha herself 
exposes a bit about the big booms that scared her as a puppy. Not so explicitly, but she's talking about nuclear bombs that were set off around the world and how the world got to be the way it was. It seems like it'd be a very natural fit to begin it as a puppy and kind of work our way to where we are now, and if that was received well, continue even further. I've had a couple ideas to how to, from where to go from here, but if I said any more, it would kind of ruin the ending. And, and obviously, we, we spoke a little bit before this interview began. Um, you have a, um, you're impressed by my manga collection in my back. Um, how much does a Japanese manga slash Japanese comics have influenced you, you know, if at all? Depending on the manga an incredible amount. Um, I had a friend in high school who was generous enough to loan me Death Note for a while and that was a really great read. Um, but I think that my all-time favorite manga is uh, Samurai Executioner. Um, it's not very popular, it's not very mainstream anymore, and it's, uh, its companion Lone Wolf and Cub is much more popular, much, much more well-known. Um, but the historical fiction coupled with um, the very intense and personal humanity of Azamon the Executioner just really resounded with me. Um, I don't know if, if you've read any of the stories, but uh, there's one that's very quick to tell. It's only 15 pages in this massive-ass manga book um, where the Executioner is going around town looking for fresh hay. Um, when he buys some, all of the girls around town start giggling. They wonder just why he would buy it. Because in this era, fresh hay uh, was very commonly wrapped in the hair of geishas. It was uh, considered to, pre to preserve virility, uh, sexuality, youth. And it turns out that day he was executing a geisha who was scared out of her mind, who had been dirty in her cage all day. But giving her that one strand of hay was just a simple act of mercy. All at once she remembered who she was. She found her dignity. And she knelt very beautifully and gracefully for her end. Um, that kind of storytelling is masterclass. I love whenever I find a story like that. Are you trying to emulate that with this comic on some levels? I wouldn't say with this one. Um, but there are other pitches for further down the road where Samurai Executioner and Lone Wolf and Cub are massive influences. Um, there are some people at Marvel, for example, uh, whose characters I would love to write in that style. So to shift to more of behind the scenes, um, obviously you're, you're the writer. How, how did you meet your team, starting with your artist, Randy Leanne? Well, to start with her, I actually have to take a step back to my producer. Um, I worked with Jonathan Graves, uh, who is a film producer in his own right, of uh, his own company called Grinning Gravestone. They're sort of like little short uh, Tales from the Crypt segments. He was working with me at my previous job, and uh, I knew he was going to Comic-Con that year. I want to say that was 2012 or 13. Let's say 13. And I knew I needed an artist. Artists were hard to come by. I didn't really know how to find them on my own. And that's where he found Randy. And Randy is a phenomenal artist. Um, her website on DeviantArt and her own website showcases her pinup art, which is her specialty. 
she can draw a woman like no one's business. Um, they are sensual, they're curvy, they have expressive faces, uh, they're imaginative, they're full of sci-fi wonder. It's absolutely clear from everything she draws that not only is she talented, but she loves what she does. And I really think that shows in the material. It absolutely does. Uh, so, go right ahead. Uh, and my letterer, Zach, um, he too is a fantastic guy of great talent. I met him through Travis McIntyre, who is a writer and editor and uh, podcast runner of Snake Oil Podcast, or Snake Oil Comics Podcast, I'm getting the name wrong. He gave me so much advice on my Kickstarter. He helped me get going. He told me what to do. He told me I was an idiot when I did something completely wrong, and thank you, Travis, for that. And he introduced me to, to Zach Sam. Um, Zach is a big hockey fan, and he knows his way around a comic. There's a collection of his uh, edited and produced by his wife, Heather Antos, um, that really showcases Zach's ability. Uh, not only can he letter, which is crazy good in the first place, but the guy can change his style on a dime. Uh, in that one collection, Unlawful Good, he goes through about five to six different distinct styles, and it's incredibly impressive to read as a result. So how do you communicate with your artist and your letterist? With lots of pleases and thank yous. Uh, I know my team is super busy, and it can be hard communicating at times. Um, but really what it, what it is and what it comes down to is a very direct and clear channel of communication. Uh, I do my best to be as expressive as possible in the descriptions in the script, and when I get pages back from Randy, I suggest notes. If she agrees, she agrees. If she disagrees, we have a conversation. And it kind of goes from there. Uh, with Zach, uh, I tell him in advance what I'm looking for. I try to communicate it in the script as well. If it's feasible, that's awesome. If it's not feasible, we figure something out together. Or at least, we will. Um, thus far, strong teamwork and strong communication have really been anchors to this project. It's propelled it so far so fast. I was uh, speaking to another independent comic book writer, and he communicates his, with his artist uh, through Skype. How do you communicate? Are you close to your artist and your letterist, or is it over phone or Skype? Uh, it's almost entirely over email. Um, because we're busy every now and then, things come through text. Um, but the bulk of it is through email. Um, I would say we're moderately close. Um, my relationship with Randy and Sam is mostly a professional one. The same goes for Jonathan. But... If they ever found their way out to L.A., I would buy them drinks in a heartbeat. <laughs> so to talk a little bit about Kickstarter, uh, congratulations on successfully raising above what you needed to raise. Many, many thanks. Um, what do you attribute this success to? Family and friends. Um, I could not thank my entire network of family and friends enough. Uh, they put up with a full month of me repeatedly plugging myself on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, they donated insanely generously. All they had to denotate was uh, $8, and so many of them went above and beyond the call. Um, 
without their generosity, without their outpouring, without their faith in me and my material, this would not have been done. I know the, the same story is true of Zach, of Randy, of Jonathan. We were all out there just really pushing to our friends, to our family, to anyone who could find us on Twitter and Facebook, and that made a world of difference. So do you feel that Kickstarter you know, brings more than just funds to your work? Absolutely. Um, the project could have gotten funded without Kickstarter, and it would have been a much longer and uh, strenuous process. But the benefit of Kickstarter is once people donate, you inherently have a built-in audience. You know that your material is going out to them, and that when you, do, when you do it again down the road for a future project, they will already be able to have an opinion and perhaps boost you even further. Uh, Kickstarter is great for creating a network and then ideally expanding that network. So do you feel that Kickstarter is really, you know, what helps people who want to enter the independent comic world publish a lot of their works and get it out to their audience members? Tentatively, yes, but admittedly, this is my first uh, tentative steps into that world. Um, the best example I can come up with for this, or best examples, are again uh, Zach Sam's wife, Heather Antos, and uh, Travis McIntyre, uh, both, both of which Michigan natives, and both of which turning out crazy amounts of material and crazy quality material. Um, these two have done a phenomenal job of finding and expanding a network and using Kickstarter as a way both to find an audience and to grow that network. I know I've been saying the same thing over and over again, but I honestly believe in their craft and that they've learned a lot from the process and that this is the most efficient process for them. So now, um, obviously, the Kickstarter campaign is over. Uh, people are going to be listening to this, and they might want the comic. Is there any way that you know that people can get the comic, even if they didn't donate by, you know, ordering it somewhere? Or do you have a plan for that? Uh, we do, yes. Uh, the first thing I would recommend doing is shooting me an email through my Kickstarter account. That is probably the best way to get your name in there. Uh, after that, there will be some time until the project is ready. When it's ready, we hope to have physical copies ready to ship at a moment's notice, and we hope to eventually get a, a digital copy available on Comixology or some similar comics-providing website. Also, do you have any intentions of bringing this to any local Comic-Cons or any big ones? Absolutely, in the biggest possible way. Um, a big part of the Kickstarter was printing fees, and that was because we intended to, to print about 250 copies of this to share among the group, and ideally to take to comic conventions. Um, Sam is in an ideal place to hit the New York and New Jersey area Comic Cons. Uh, Randy's in a perfect place to hit Southwest area uh, Comic Cons. I'm in a pretty good place to hit LA-based Comic Cons. And I have a few friends back home who, if they really, really love me, could hit, like, the Detroit area Comic-Cons and things like that. So, obviously, once the comic is published, are you going... You said you might develop the story more, but are you going to bring it out into a different format? 
Wow, that's a good question. Um, short term, let's say no. Um, this was a com uh, an idea that was really conceived around a comic. It was something that uh, I felt could be written very easily and drawn very easily as well. Um, where I think there could be film or TV potential, it almost seems like it's outgrowing the idea too quickly. Um, I would rather test this on a much larger audience, see what they think, and see if it's worthwhile. Um, the big trick would be how would I make a movie or a TV show exclusively around the relationship between a girl and her dog in a way that wasn't um, as playful as a boy and his dog, a great post-apocalyptic movie, or um, as dark and depressing and direct as a movie and book like The Road. That idea, I think, is still very, very much gestating. Um, you obviously have a background in screenwriting. Um, how does that relate to writing a script for a comic book? I think that without that background, comic book writing would be very, very difficult. Um, I'm a big fan of sci-fi, and whenever I'm in the bookstore, I just run down the sci-fi aisle looking for anything that comes close to the things I'm looking for. Uh, that's super vague. Um, I look for fantasy, I look for steampunk, but all very specific. I love horror, I love character focus, um, I love big action, I love crazy imagined monsters. Um, and without tossing out any names, a lot of times when I read a novel, I find that while the world might be perfect, structurally it's not paced necessarily correctly, there might be an improper focus on certain characters, like I might l lose track of the protagonist in sight of a side character who suddenly became more interesting. Um, obviously that happens all the time in film as well. Um, the difference though is that I would argue um, better films tend to be more open, more memorable, um, more directly easy to find. That's not discounting the power of the novel, far from it. But I think that in a novel, structure is less important than world and character. And that is what a comic has in common with screenplay. Uh, comics are all about pacing, they're all about delivery, they're all about uh, the character of the moment. and a really good standalone single issue needs to be slick as a razor. There's no time for wasted panels, there's no time for lame jokes. There is the moment, there is organically created humor, organically uh, created pathos, um, and you see that kind of structure, the same five-act structure, play out over the course of five-issue arcs, six-issue arcs, hell, even 12-issue arcs, um, a good comic book writer thoroughly understands structure, pacing, and timing above all things. So, uh, final question before we get into promos. Um, do you have any idea where you would want to pitch this comic if you were to take it to a bigger company? Um, Not to shoot yourself in the foot, but... Oh, no. Um, you know, that's the great thing about where we are right now in the comic book industry. 
everyone has something wonderful to offer. Um, I've read Marvel and DC Comics all my life. I'm s slowly finding my way into the incredibly interesting and uh, imaginative, uh, I don't want to say world, but menagerie that is Image Comics. Um, I'm just discovering Valiant, and man, have I missed out. Like, superheroes plus crazy metaphors plus metaphysics and existential angst, holy shit, that is all my bag. Um, Dark Horse has had Hellboy and so many other great titles. Um, there really is no wrong place. Um, there is... If you know where to look, there is always an option. And at this point, anyone who is willing to give me the time of day has my utmost thanks and appreciation, and I hope I don't let them down, whoever they are. So, do you have any promos? Do you want to promote yourself, Facebook, Twitter, or Kickstarter, website, Instagram? Hell yeah. Uh, you can totally find me on Twitter. Um, just search Kevin Bauer and look for the really bad picture of myself. Uh, it's kind of blurry. It's kind of overly sunlit. doesn't look great, but my comments tend to be. Uh, I post about movies all the time. Uh, if you check my mentions, I am always telling people how much I love their comics. It's a great way to tell what I'm reading and who I think is worth reading. Uh, I'm on Facebook, too. Go right ahead and check me out. Um, I have a blog page. It's called Sad Cyborg. Sometimes it's a little angry about movies. Sometimes it's very, very optimistic. Uh, I just published an update on a Suicide Squad article uh, positing who I think is going to die in the movie. Um, I would also highly suggest you check out the work of my team. Randy's art is available on DeviantArt. It's Randy Leanne Art, or Randy Lamb Art. Um, Zach Sam can be found by way of the Michigan Comics Collective, as can uh, Travis McIntyre, who's basically the godfather of this project. Uh, you can find all of Jonathan's shorts on the channel Grinning Gravestone, I'd like to say, if not Graves Entertainment. Obviously, if you didn't pledge to the Kickstarter campaign, as you just heard from Kevin, you can email him on the Kickstarter page, and you can possibly get a copy of the comic when it comes out. That's the best way to get in contact with him if you're enthralled and excited about this as I am. Also, feel free to subscribe to this podcast so that it tracks you down on Sunday instead of you tracking it down. And thank you so much to Kevin Bauer as well as everybody who listened. And hopefully I will see you next Sunday.
Yeah, our team is super talented. I would highly recommend checking out all of their work.